Hey, did you know this podcast has a Patreon? At patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries, you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar and get early access to episodes and join in on community posts with all the other hosts and me. Uh, patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries. Get out there and do it. Thanks. Sunday scaries. Have you guys seen a, the South Park episode with James Cameron where he's like, "We gotta go deeper." No. <laughs> oh, there's this imagine. whole bit where he like he's like trying to make a movie underwater, and they like Michael. They're like James Cameron. Like we've reached the limits of human ability, and he's like, "We gotta go deeper." <laughs> Jake Amaronis. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's up, boys? Uh, so, hey, welcome to Sunday Scaries. It's a podcast about horror movies where each week we take a deep uh, take the edge off by doing a deep dive into a specific scary movie to try to find connections between that film and other movies within the genre. Uh, I'm Travis. I'm Tyler. And out in sunny Los Angeles, we have Daniel. Yes, I'm out here representing the West Coast chapter <laughs> of Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scary Sunday Scaries. Thank you. And it's Friday. It's Friday. It's the 13th, uh, and so naturally we had to watch. Friday the 13th, the very, very first, the original, 1980, Friday the 13th. Uh, so I, I thought this would be a fun thing to do, like I said, as kind of like a filler thing, because I uh, I think I've only ever seen this first one and the 2009 remake. So as more Friday the 13th starts showing up during the year, uh, I want to like learn more about this franchise. And maybe through your in-depth research, too, you can kind of like uh, help guide us along as we kind of periodically uh, stumble upon more Fridays the 13th. Uh, I assume, had you guys both seen this before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This first one, at least, right? Yeah. Yeah. I saw the this one uh, at a slumber party, or like, a, <laughs> uh, not a slumber party, but like a late night party. Like, it was like my friends, I was a junior in high school, and we all mm. like sat down and watched it together. So you're saying there was no sleeping going on. Yeah. <laughs> Which is to say that, like... <laughs> yeah. And that's the whole thing about this fucking movie. Like, these movies are... So I watched... For today, I watched this one, and then I watched the 2009 one again, and I watched Friday the 13th Part 2, which, Mm. like, this movie is pretty horny for, you know, this... Even for the genre, but, like, at the time. But the second one, man, the second one is a a bang fest. Like, that's everybody... There's, like, twice as many characters. (laughs) I know what I'm doing today. Yeah. It's it's so much, uh, like, raunchier. Um but yeah, Friday the 13th, the original one, uh, Friday the 13th is a slasher film from 1980 written by Victor Miller and Ron Kurz and directed by Sean S. Cunningham in which a group of young adults are hired to renovate uh, and run Camp Crystal Lake as the new counselors learn more about each other and the history of the camp. A mysterious assailant stalks them from the darkness, uh, eventually picking off each camp counselor one by one. Um yeah, this movie's all about kills. Uh, do you want to talk about, like, so the production for this movie, the development of it is actually kind of interesting. Uh, it's I feel like it's one of the the rare sort of, like, um, Hollywood, like, cynical Hollywood success stories. Um, no, this is kind of funny. Is like, they were saying it's, like, the one of the highest-earning independent films ever made, um, which, ironically, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it, like, the first one... Um, then beat Friday the 13th score. So we have like a really, really weird uh, amalgam of things, but basically Friday the 13th is technically was an independent film uh, that got mm. purchased by Paramount in a bidding war between them, Warner Brothers and United Artists. And so it's like kind of crazy to think like they made the movie on $550,000. Yeah. And they bought it. They bought the distribution rights for one and a half million, which for like, 
which I don't know, Travis, you could tell them about like uh, Cunningham, like trying to sell this movie in the first place. Oh yeah. Uh, just getting the, the funding of, for like, it. I mean, he straight up yeah. just put an ad in variety. Yeah. <laughs> he had the movie, like everything was ready to go. He had the ideas and he just put an ad in variety. And then this bidding war started, which has to be like jumped off of the success of Halloween. Right. They yeah. see, they see what Carpenter did with Halloween and then Paramount, Warner Brothers, Universal, they're like, wait a second, we can make so much money off of this shit. And they see this ad in Variety from Cunningham, who, I mean, at the time, he has some some moderate success or some backstory. Yeah, so it, he, like. he had worked with uh, Wes Craven, right, to develop uh, Last House on the Left as well as uh, The Hills Have Eyes. Um, so he's in the game, but it's so funny how, like, in this era, these specific filmmakers that were, like, at, in charge of and at the head of some of the most famous movies and franchises of all time were like, we don't want to make horror movies. We're, we're over this. We want to make, you know, like other, because I think it's still at this time. And maybe it's kind of changed here as we, as you know, the, the industry has evolved over the last few decades, but especially early on in the beginning, like there was still this idea that making horror movies was like, just above making like porno basically like it was like you're 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 barely shocking and even like a lot of the actors that are in this movie they lament that as an aspect of how it affected their career yeah. and how they like, win the mindset they had they're making smut it. essentially if, yeah is what they see it as yeah because yeah. this I mean, is they barely they got betsy palmer <laughs> yeah there yeah. is there are some boobs in this movie. well I, only one character has to like show their boobs but everybody else like i mean kevin bacon kind of hangs dong in this movie mm-hmm. like he has well, he has a what, there's, <laughs> there's some hidden dong I watched, yeah. this, I watched this with my wife and she was like not plus about watching it i was like oh babe it'll be great she's like okay whatever and i was like no i remember this the first time i saw it i was like you get to see kevin bacon's butt and that is like the best part for me personally. Just iconic. Was yeah, I, I, like I remember being a teenager and being like, "Oh my god, that's actor!" Like you know, you're just like that's famous actor Kevin Bacon's butt. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Totally. So it, like, who at the time was effectively a a soap star, right? Yeah, like yeah. coming fresh off the soap scene. Yeah, I mean they're all they're all super young. It's crazy. Mm. Like I mean they're all like twenty twenty one. Like it's just like ragtag bunch of. Uh, of yeah like young actors who were kind of like just it's like a bunch of young actors and then betsy palmer like mm-hmm. who was along for the ride who's like oh my car is fucked up like my car broke down if you're willing I, to buy me a new car sure yeah. i'll do your stupid fucking i need ten thousand dollars for my new car yeah she's like nobody's ever gonna watch this fucking yeah. movie and she read the script and mm-hmm. said this is a piece of shit <laughs> like quoted said this is a piece of shit <laughs> yeah well but i need to be cars. fair to her I do think, I mean, not to get too far down the rabbit hole, but that's like my biggest criticism on rewatch. I'm like, holy shit, there is like nothing as far as characters go. Like oh, the argument yeah. that there's no like, development. Annie's a final girl is like kind of a, <laughs> yeah. is kind of comedic in and of itself. You're like, sure, she's only a final girl because she's literally the final girl. Yeah, there's like or- no emotional reason to care. Annie or Alice so like there's so many that's the other thing about this movie is like on a first watch too yeah they all have very similar names and they're all like kind of similar looking like distinguishing this is that era of movies where you're like Bill like Bill and Ned are essentially like they're they're very very interchangeable they're the same I kept having to like I was watching on Amazon, so I'd pause it, and yeah. it has, like, the x-ray yeah. notes where it says who's who, and I'm like, wait, I thought that guy fucking died. Oh, wait, that's not Ned. No. That's Mark, or Bill, or I don't fucking, I, I still don't know. Yeah. I can, I can, I can only identify, like, Kevin Bacon, 
because he's Kevin Bacon, and then the camp, like the head of the camp, because he wears nothing but jorts and has a oh my god, oh Steve, oh yeah, we all remember Steve, second most seductively dressed character in the movie. Like when he first shows up, it's like a parody. Like he's got fucking jorts on and a red handkerchief around his neck, and he's like suave sunglasses. Just been doing some suave glasses out here. Yeah, he's got the octagonal sphere. It's a good look. Yeah, it's a good look. I mean, honestly, he rocks it. Like. Put him in That's like kind of what Cunningham was. Uh, Cunningham was going for that. Like obviously, the the larger criticism is like these characters are meaningless. But Cunningham kind of like consciously knew he's like they just have to look attractive and say the lines. Like I think he's famously said mm-hmm. like they didn't even have to do that great. They just had to say words and then get killed. Like I didn't like yeah. it didn't matter to me if they were like famous at like great actors or not. Yeah, and of I course, did like hear... from the men to the women, they all look super attractive. And they all <laughs> I did hear a few <laughs> interviews from him, basically effectively saying that they have to look good, be able to say the lines, and just act like a normal person. That's yeah. pretty much what he said. Because even like the dialogue isn't even; it's hardly directed. Like if you mm-hmm. listen, if you watch him talk about like the process of putting these scenes together and implementing a script into movie, it's like. You have, I mean, you have movies that are like this, especially in the Grindhouse thing, but in this particular movie, he's like, yeah, we basically, we we mapped out the kills, like, we know how everybody's going to die, but everything in between each death was kind of just like, by the seat of their pants, improv, like, they were literally just going out onto the sets and being like, all right, now you do this, all right, what if you drive the car, all right, Marcy, can you can you jump out of the car, are you willing to do that? She's like, fuck yeah, I'll jump out of the car, and that's literally how, like, every scene went by, like, scene by scene, was them just kind of, like, making it up as they go, which, like, all of that in mind and, like, the level of cynicism with the idea that Sean S. Cunningham was, like, we are deliberately ripping off Halloween. Like, that's the point of this movie. We, mm-hmm. we This is an easy cash grab, um, and we're not even going to be, like, you know, coy about it. The fact that all that comes together and they somehow edit it into such a way that it kind of makes, like, a cohesive movie is kind of impressive in and of itself. Uh, and it kicks off a whole genre, or it kicks off a whole franchise, like, a whole sub-franchise fran- like, that is one of the more lasting and famous fran- Like. I feel like this is almost more as far as like per per capita character like exploitation like there's more Friday the 13th movies than there are Halloween movies mm-hmm. right I think Which, so like yeah. as far as the numbers there's, go there's 12 or Friday the 13th movies I think and, mm-hmm. and like at least one TV show soon to be another TV show I could talk about that all day <laughs> um and uh I think Friday um yeah, like Nightmare on Elm Street's up to like it got to like nine or ten mm-hmm. maybe if you count the crossover. Yeah, and then there's the um, crossover with both the of them. The hybrid. Yeah. Which is the only other yeah. one that I think that I saw. I saw Freddy versus Jason too. That was the only other other one that I had seen. I haven't seen three through like seven, I guess. Well um, that's like the deep irony of the entire concept of like the Friday the thirteenth franchise. Is like the Fred, the Jason that everybody knows is from the third movie. He's not <laughs> yeah. in the first movie. Exactly. He's, uh, he doesn't have the hockey mask in the second movie. And no. it's only like in the third movie that he actually takes like shape and form. Yeah, he becomes yeah. the iconic So it's like character. definitely a franchise. Yeah, it's like a franchise that actually had to develop over time, mm-hmm. which you kind of see like how the. Halloween had the same effect where like the second one was uh, like a good sequel because the first was so good. Then the third mm-hmm. is like everybody hates it. And then it's just back to like, <laughs> Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading uh, quotes from Victor Miller saying that like throughout the production, they ended up adding that last scene with Jason. Yeah. But there, that was never the plan. Yeah. To involve Jason, to have Jason be malicious. Like it was just 
kind of at the end. And then you had, um, who's that? The makeup artist. Oh, uh, Tom Savini. Tom Savini, Tom Savini yeah, was like there and was like, well, we could do like a zombie yeah. thing. <laughs> what if we did like a zombie thing at the end? that's how they were doing fucking everything in this movie was like, they would like, especially all of the gore, right? Because that was the other kind of cool thing that they were sort of, they they understood and were very like, you know, explicitly ripping off Halloween, but they were also implementing something to sort of elevate it and put their new spin on the game, which was one to be like, to make an interesting killer, to be like, all right, mm. in the first one in Halloween, you know, you have a bunch of kids, like they're, they're putting together, you know, the, the easy, straightforward soup recipe of a serial killer movie that's modeled after Halloween. It's like, you got a bunch of innocent kids who were for some reason separated from the, the helpful, you know, watching eye of adults, you know, right? Like there's no adults in Halloween. And in this movie, because they're at a campground, like there's no adults around that can help them out, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you have this faceless, maskless force of nature who's coming along and picking them off one by one. But the difference from this movie to the Halloween is that, like, they saw Halloween and were like, well, we can ramp up the gore a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Sean S. Cunningham is like, he watches Dawn of the Dead, the original George Romero Dawn of the Dead, right? And he's like, fuck. Who did that? Let's get that fucking guy. And it's fucking Tom Savini. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's like, they're like, we want to bring you in to do like realistic, you know, body gore that is anatomically correct and really like amp up this movie from, you know, what Halloween is. And then on top of that, we're putting the spin on it where it's like, it's not this random sort of, you know, uh, like lost in the wilderness force of nature sort of like golem. It's, you know, the reveal at the end is like, is crazy. And they were like, writing on that and it's kind of mm-hmm. funny how like then it does fall backwards into being even more of a de- direct replica of halloween and the in halloween in uh, friday the 13th part two and mm-hmm. uh the rest of the franchise i guess yeah. but um i want to add like one thing yeah go ahead and I, this is like my my film school perspective is i kind of the thing i hate about friday the 13th is like because it was so like haphazardly produced and like mm-hmm. almost imp- improvised from murder to murder it like it's it's continually inspiring generations of film school kids that are like yeah if i have like eight of my closest friends oh, yeah. four actors and twelve thousand dollars i can make a friday the 13th and that's just not how it works yeah. right now like no one has ever gone into the woods, improved a movie successfully, and then made it work, <laughs> unless they're spending years of their lives right. like, editing and recutting. Like that's the the failure is like they think it's like oh this is so easy. All we have to do is like fake some deaths. You know we're all young. We can like jump out a car. No one has to know that like we're not you know bound by any particular like budget or industry. It's like all our imagination <laughs> or unions. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like any of that shit. And well, like, that, they're and, like, oh, we could just do another Friday the 13th. You're like, no, that's not how that works. Yeah, that is the, the double-edged sword about a lot of these. And I think we've talked about that a few times, especially with, like, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or, like, Last House on the Left, where, like, the, the early sort of, uh, like, guarantors of the entire subgenre of, like, slashers and other grindhouse stuff from the 70s and 80s is they were low budget, but it's also, like, the people making these movies were filmmakers. Like they were people who were in the industry and who were like producers on other stuff. And this is even after like last house on the left and, you know, uh, Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, and all those movies and the Hills have eyes come out. Like Sean S Cunningham has work. Like he's mm-hmm. doing stuff. And Tom Savini is a professional makeup artist. It's just that yeah. he's like, this is sort of just like a renegade kind of like punk rock version of a set that he is more, more so than he's used to being on, but they've all yeah. worked professionally before. And there is some shots in there that, you can tell mm-hmm. that they have the ability. It's just somewhat constrained by this lower budget. Right. Um, like some of the panning, like scene setting shots at the camp when they first get there, like looking over the lake with the wind crashing the waves, the trees 
like they're beautiful shots for like given for what it is for what it is yeah yeah no that, i was thinking that too as we were there's watching like it. flashes there where you're like oh these are real filmmakers. yeah especially because yeah. it's filmed like you know on film camera and stuff and it's mm-hmm. like back in the 90s you're like for for what this movie is there's some there's some really beautiful photography in there uh there's one specific shot we'll talk about that's another iconic part of the movie that has some mm-hmm. some stuff in it yeah um, and the, like leaning off of what daniel said it's like do these film students realize this was we're like coming up on that was 50 years ago now yeah <laughs> like, oh, i could just do it yeah well that was 50 years ago almost 50 years ago like we gotta you gotta take yourself out of that place in time a little bit yeah and i think it's also like the thing that i think daniel you talk about a lot too where it's like the idea of like inspiration for young filmmakers that like are uh, think that like the, the the winning the element here that is magical or the element that makes it like a good indie movie is the fact that it's so low budget or the fact that it's like you know, like I said, it's like punk rock filmmaking. It's mm-hmm. like we're doing this all DIY and that's what makes it good. And it's like, no, all of the most famous, like it's this sort of like survivorship fallacy, right? Where it's like the most famous movies that started the most famous franchises that we know of in history are just the one out of several hundreds or dozens that actually worked. That nobody's and, ever seen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all there's, yeah, for every the rest one of, of them, nobody's ever seen. Yeah. Them. And, and it's it crashed also and like, burned just like your college film project <laughs> yeah. is going to. Yeah. If you try to emulate this. Yeah. Thing. I mean, I've personally worked at least two or three like super low budget features where you are just like, you're like, why? Why are we doing this? Like, yeah. no one's making <laughs> enough money to make a living. Like, and every time you ask them, they're like, oh, like you, you kind of get this jadedness about it because you always have like the young director. It's like X. You have the young mm. director. It's like, it's like art, you know, like we're going to sell, we're going to put this out in festivals. <laughs> it's going to do great. We'll build groundswell. I'll spend like, It'll do festival run for a year, and then we'll have deals on the table after, like, you know, a year and a half. And you're like, dude, no, there's no way. There's no way that's how that works. <laughs> Come on, bro. Invest in my crypto. Come on. it's <laughs> Everything's going to work out. I promise. The I only know. movie I ever did that had distribution already had distribution before it was made. And that's because yeah. the producer was a Hollywood, like, big shot. Like, he had <laughs> connections. The other ones, it's like I like that movie that that Ferris and I worked on, um, which their rumor has it it's going to come out soon. They're going to like screen it for us or something. Oh fuck yeah! Um, that was just like a guy who did a pizza ad had a ton of money, and he and his friends were like, "Let's make a like a horror film." Hmm. Um, and we and they paid us well enough that it was kind of okay. Like it wasn't a total shit show of a set. We really really loved it. But it was like they were all older theater people. Like nobody on that crew right. was like fresh. They kind of like knew if they were going to run lean, they better have veterans on set. And so right. it's like the only time I've done a low budget that was fine. But when you have like students, the moment that you have like more when it when it tips, where like all your creative leads are all students making decisions, everyone's just kind of like throwing things into the ether. Like, well, what if we shot this at night? And you're like, yeah, I mean, I guess that could work. <laughs> And like what what a bummer and a chaotic way to like to make a movie. Yeah, it just makes you more jaded towards movie making in general, which is like mm-hmm. not how I want to be. I, I I respect, you know, I really do admire and respect some of the like you know the auteurs and the and the like rebel punks. Like we talked about Joe Begas when we met with Josh Rubin, mm-hmm. um, and that guy's like he literally is a punk filmmaker. Like I think he's like a punk rock like a punk rocker by life and a filmmaker by choice or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and he and his people, I mean, they just made their own shit by themselves. He just picks the camera up and starts running around, which like they pay someone to use that camera so that the cam ops like got a free day because Joe Beagle right. can't help himself. He's like running around with that camera, just like <laughs> shooting things. 
Hell yeah. I mean, that's one way to do it. But, I mean, that, that's kind of seems like how the beginning of this movie was filmed, right? Like this, this whole like camp setup, right? I think there's something really like magical about these first two movies, particularly Friday the 13th and Friday the 13th part two, where they exist sort of like outside. They, they set up the lore of, of Jason in such a way. And the fact that like he doesn't participate in these movies in any way um, really until like he doesn't even show up in the second movie until the very end, like the very, very mm-hmm. end. Um and there's and even in this movie too, like they they delay the gratification of seeing the killer for for a super duper long time, um, and they they kick it off though with the horniest teenagers you've ever seen, who were just making bedroom eyes at each other while singing like spiritual songs in yeah, a cabin. They, yeah, they definitely <laughs> are continuing this trope. For Wait, sure. okay, but like I have Halloween to ask, and... like, did y'all ever go to like a summer camp or have like a summer camp crush or a summer camp sweetie? I was curious, yeah. So I never went to like a sleepaway camp. Uh, me, yeah, me neither. Yeah, just like a day, a day camp. What? Yeah. You know, you went to a sleepaway camp. That's wild. So this is kind of telling on myself, but I went to like a uh, like kind of a Christian summer camp, but it wasn't like every single. Well, I guess it really was. We were singing Kumbaya every day, but it was summer camp, <laughs> vacation like, Bible school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was like a full on sleepaway summer camp in like East Texas, out near Shreveport. It, um, and there was like an hour of Christian programming every day. And it wasn't, I mean, it was a very like, I, I would say that, I don't know how to describe this without sounding like I was super Jesus-y. That, that's my biggest <laughs> problem. But my buddy, one of my oldest friends and I met at one of those sleepaway camps when we were like 12, maybe like right on the edge of finishing. Like you can't go back. Um, and we had just gone puberty. So we were both kind of like in the, in the era of our lives. We were like, girls are cute. And then you're like, you know, at summer camp. And that's the beauty of it is like you all just sleep in the same fucking like ter- like if you really wanted to you could sneak out to a cabin or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this kind of like this movie really jogged my memories of like some like sleepaway like summer camps and like the like the summer camp romance you get like one week to be with someone and you're like passionate about it but you're also yeah, like because... a fucking child and idiotic. Yeah, for everybody, like, I think this is, you know, even without it being a sleepaway camp, like, that's that's the inherent nature of camp when you're a kid, right? Is, like, it's as a kid, it's your first experience with something that's, like, being on vacation or, like, being, mm. like, single in another city or something where you're, like, like the fucking, like, the there's no rules. Like, everything's, everything's yeah, up for game here. Yeah, like, there's nobody to, like, tell me what to do, and I'm here on my own, and I can kind of, like, I can create a new personality for myself. And, like, when you're a kid, that's, like, that's something that I couldn't, like, separate as we were, as I was watching this movie, too, was just how, I like, my experience with the camp was kind of similar, where, but, it, like, it was a day camp, and I was already old enough by the time I did this when I was a kid, where I was, like, 12 or 13, and I was, like, very much, like, already, like, not a religious person. Like, my mm-hmm. parents never really forced that on me as a kid, but the only some day, day camp that they were able to send me to was one that was, like, based in a church thing that, you know, another friend of a friend had gone to. And so I went to that, but I had the experience of going where they would do, like, that half an hour of, like, Christian program. Like, they would have, like, a worship service in the middle of it, and I would have to, like, begrudgingly yeah, just, like, sit there yeah. really bored while everybody was, like, singing, like, <laughs> hymns and stuff. Just kind of, like, weirded out. Mm-hmm. And then, but I, you had that specific memory where, I don't know if you had this of your, like, sleepaway camp, but, like, the counselors who are children themselves, like, they're barely, like, they're teenagers who were just, just enough, like, older than you. Like, they've just, they're on the other side of puberty mm-hmm. where they get to tell you what to do. But, in watching this movie and then the sequel to it and then thinking about just like this whole setup and scenario, you're like, oh yeah, those kids, they, they were fucking, they were fucking like, <laughs> that's all they were, everybody was like, they were doing, they were probably just out there smoking and like doing yeah. so much other shit. Like that's what I would be doing. Like if I was a fucking 18 year old. If I could go back now. Yeah. 
I would never I'd be a yeah, camp well, counselor. I, <laughs> I, I I did have friends who were camp counselors. Like when I was uh, like when they were in college, they'd go back and and were counselors at that exact same camp. Um, and they were they were sharing stories about like this. I mean, this woman married this guy, but they would like sneak off into the woods to have sex, or like they'd all just like <laughs> go into town and and get drunk, and then like have someone DD them home, or like smoke weed in in like the fucking chapel, and then just like go back and go to bed because they were just like so sick of the kids they'd be like oh yeah i fuck these kids because like full <laughs> disclosure like after the opening of this movie the setup the deal that these kids get right the main characters of our movie like it's a pretty sweet fucking gig like you like they're not even there yet for the, kids the aren't actual there yet. yeah they yeah. just get to fucking hang out for a couple of weeks and help do handiwork like just get a paint and, tasks and yeah. hang a gut a Put up a gutter. Yeah, like, you work work for a few hours a day. Put up a gutter, nail some shit swimming. to a wall, and then swim. The rest and then of the fuck. Day. Yeah, <laughs> and then smoke weed, play strip monopoly. Uh, yeah, no, it looks like a fucking blast. Uh, but I yeah, love that's strip monopoly. Oh, it's the great. I love we'll talk strip monopoly. It, it almost specifically that it's like purely a device to get people naked. Oh yeah, no, I mean, what what is any strip game except for except a device to get people naked? Um, let's lay out the beginning of this movie here real quick. Uh, so yeah, this movie starts off in um, with our little sort of like intro prequel. I, I assume these are the events that happen like four to five years right before. Uh, the events of the movie that takes place for the rest of it. But yeah, it's a bunch of like yellow-shirted kids dance, uh, hanging out. Um, the opening mm-hmm. sequence is basically to set up that there is a, an unseen like murderer uh, in the style of the Evil Dead um, who is going and killing all these kids. Uh, uh, 58, 1958 is where the, the introduction scene you, that's is. That's so. right. Yeah, it's June 13th, 1958, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then, uh, so yeah, we, we get two of the, like, like I said, the most bedroom eyesy, like horny teenagers who are fooling around, <laughs> having a romp in the hay, uh, and they are, they are quickly murdered. Uh, and then we get introduced to like a few, I mean, the rest of our cast of characters, including, um, uh, and starting with, um, uh, Annie, uh, who is hitchhiking, uh, and trying to get a ride to Camp Crystal Lake where she's going to be the, uh, she's going to be the cook here mm-hmm. uh, she never makes it to camp though she's just uh, she hangs out and goes through town she hitches a ride and is ominously um warned in a foreboding way of uh, of all the the yeah. terror and, and by the driver and the foreshadowing by uh crazy ralph yeah crazy ralph man man. hanging out, out at the outside the diner <laughs> yelling at people he is a he. I like how he speaks biblically. Like mm. Ralph is the most like he's a yeah. he's like a re, like a Christian revivalist mm-hmm. kind of. If I uh, was going to recast this movie for a remake now, I would take bones and all Mark Rylance and make him <laughs> yeah. Crazy Ralph. He and it is exactly that. Sick. That is. It's like picture perfect. Like if yeah. you look at them, side I couldn't by stop side, thinking about it. As soon as I saw Crazy Ralph, I'm like, that's Mark. That's Mark. <laughs> I mean, because it's these Harbinger characters. They're all kind of the same. Yeah. Like, they're pretty much, like, you, they're interchangeable. The same one from uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, too, mm-hmm. like the gas station attendants, or like or from the the Hills Have Eyes, where you have, yeah, it's somebody who is who, who society has forgotten, who is, mm-hmm. is sitting out there at suspenders. But who knows the truth. Who rides a bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> to get around on. Um, this being a movie that was made in 1979, there was. Did you notice in the in the opening scene? So we get Annie who hitches a ride from like the truck driver, right? Who's like they're, they're all sitting at the diner and they're nice enough to like tell him to like go take her to the ride. So mm-hmm. I was like, this actually kind of seems of all the hitchhiking situations that we've seen in horror movies, that one was like more on the up and up than yeah. than most of them, except for the moment where he helps her into the the cab of the truck and he gets two handfuls Hand of her of butt, her like, thigh and ass, yeah, <laughs> as he's like hoisting her into the uh, the passenger seat of the truck um 
But yeah, the subtitles then, like, after this whole introduction, and he, she gets warned of, like, everything that's going on at the camp, uh, we get the scene where we're introduced to, like, the rest of the other camp counselors, right? The subtitle that plays on the captions whenever you're watching this on Amazon is uh, Southern Banjo Music starts playing. <laughs> and it's, like, <laughs> it's them. Incest is about to happen. Exactly. They're roaring down the highway, like, coming around three to that uh, to the, the seat of the uh, the pickup truck. Mm-hmm. Um, we, get, we get introduced to Kevin Bacon uh, and Marcy and... Uh, I mean, very much similar to the beginning of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just a bunch of kids in a van and or truck. Like, it's very, it's identical vibes for sure. Yeah. And the whole device is to get people away, like to get the kids away from their parents, right? Like, they have to be in a situation where they're like, there's no obvious, like, adults where they can just, like, reach out to. Like, the society is far enough away that the plausibility of this, the rest of this movie actually, like, makes sense here. Um, yeah, so we get introduced to uh, Steve as well, who is uh, chopping wood in his very, very provocative outfit. Uh, the rest of the new counselors kind of introduce themselves to Steve right away, uh, and they all get assigned like their various tasks. Um, so yeah, like I said, for for a movie that is so haphazardly like strung together, the structure of this movie is actually pretty like straightforward in a way that is like it's it's kind of nice and easily digestible. Mm-hmm. Like this whole entire first like forty minutes of the movie, first half of the movie is setting up and like introducing everybody then we sort of eliminate the first tier characters everybody who is pretty easily dispensable uh in quick succession and then we get to like the final girl um mm-hmm. who eventually we, we we find will be adrian king uh who plays alice there is that thing did you think that like okay so did alice and steve have something going on between them Whenever we first get introduced to her and she's outside with like the, with yes. him and he's wearing his sexy red bandana and his short shorts and she pulls out her drawings and it's like a plot point thing that like never comes mm-hmm. up again. But he's like, it looks like the introduction to a porno. Yeah. And then when she thinks that Steve has come back to yeah. it, like she's enamored, you know, she's like my savior, Steve. Right. But if I'm not mistaken, Bill gives her a little smooch later too. But that might've just been like, I don't know. Well, that's what happens. So this is like what happens <laughs> when you, one, improv a movie. is like you forget what you improv you know, 15 days ago. It's like they might have <laughs> done that scene and kind of put it together. But I guarantee that there is no script supervisor on this set. Because there's oh, no. no, like, stories don't line up. Like, it's kind of nonsensical. And it was shot in, like, a very simple manner, which is fine. Like, again, it's this movie's strength. But... It's funny to me. It's like, yeah, there are just things that happen and then mean absolutely nothing or they get completely ignored later. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but he does give her like a very seductive stroke of her hair uh, before he like says goodbye <laughs> to her after com- after complimenting her drawings and like making prolonged eye contact. He says, you're quite the artist, aren't you? <laughs> and he's like, this is really what I look like. And she's like, that's what you look like last night. And it's like, at, at this point in the movie, it's just them two and Brenda, right, hanging out. Oh, no, I guess Bill is there, too, and then the other three. Which, like... I'm still having a hard Steve, time remembering right? who's like, who, because they're so... Yeah, okay, so so <laughs> just to lay out the characters, right, we have uh, Alice, who is who is there nailing up the gutter with Steve, who is the, mm-hmm. the main boss. He's the counselor who... Um, Steve, Steve's is family reopening the camp. Exactly. He his family was in charge. Steve Christie, the, uh, the Christies were in charge of uh, Camp Crystal Lake or Camp Blood, and uh, he inherited it and is now trying to renovate the camp for uh, a new season. So him and Alice are already at the camp, as well as uh, Bill and Brenda, who I think are also a couple. Bill is like the older, mm. somewhat older, like less jokey one. He's the one who's not doing uh, Humphrey Bogart impression. He has yeah, fewer he's lines. Not, he's not Ned. 
Yeah, he gets killed last. Like he's the guy. He's the guy who looks like Ned, but, but is not Ned. Ned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's actually that. That's a uh, Harry Crosby. That's Bing Crosby's Bing son. Crosby's yeah. Son. yeah. <laughs> and I think after reading a bit more about this after my rewatch, um, there were some points made about him being like the practical Joker. Oh, really? That as a trope becomes like you have your jokester character that gets mm-hmm. killed off like pretty early generally you know oh yeah the comedic relief um who's always like one of the first few to get off most of the time and uh from what i read like there you don't really have instances of that before this movie but that definitely becomes a trope in slashes yeah. later on yeah no it's of, like it's... the jokester funny guy who is gonna die in the next 10 minutes probably yeah because even all the way up to like the 2009 remake right it's the uh oh man the asian kid i forget like he's the he's the friend in uh disturbia Mm -hmm. uh and he's also like the first guy to get killed in the 2009 remake of how of uh, friday the 13th um yeah that is a trope that you're talking about yeah Yeah. but that that even gets echoed in uh they put cabin in the woods recently on hbo max Mm -hmm. uh and in that one there's like an entire like it's formalized within the mythology of the plot the idea that like you have to have like the like the madonna character and then like the like joker and then Mm -hmm. like the hero and then like the yeah it's uh i don't know it's hilarious um the way i group these people together though is like we have uh jack ned and marcy who are the three that were in the pickup at the beginning and that that includes Mm -hmm. jack who is played by kevin bacon jack and marcy together and then they have their annoying friend ned who is the jokester Mm -hmm. who is always wearing like that uh that football baseball sleeve kind of thing yeah and he's the one who's doing like the problematic you know dancing and impressions and Mm -hmm. stuff um yeah, those are, so that, that's like that's our general cast of characters, um, and in this section too, I think that's the moment where like like I said, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but there's this sort of ongoing thing throughout the movie where they're they're not emulating because it you know these movies are sort of contemporary and stuff, um, but the idea of like the voyeur cam right that's kind of something employed by this movie mm-hmm. like to maybe to a fault like it is kind of stretching like the the range of of like plausibility where you're like, how, how long can we like keep this script going where you have people getting killed on screen who aren't saying the name of the killer that they recognize? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause they keep having like in that first kill, right. They show that like the Claudette and whatever the, the boy's name is like, they get murdered at the very beginning of the movie and they clearly recognize who's killing them. Mm-hmm. But like they, the, the plot stretches out just long enough that we never get the name of the killer until it's revealed at the end of the movie. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, Steve, too when steve dies Mm -hmm. he is like what are you doing like he knows who it is as well and even like when annie gets killed like she gets killed (laughs) to the point where when you're watching her death and she's like talking directly to the camera it starts to Mm -hmm. feel like like video game dialogue like as you're like pressing a like scrolling through her like yeah skip skip skip. (laughs) (laughs) until they finally like kick her she uh, she gets kicked out of the uh the passenger seat of the car um because that's essentially what happens next, right? Like, so like all the uh, the camp counselors introduce each other to each, uh, each other. Um, Ned almost uh, shoots Brenda. Uh, yeah, and then we get Annie uh, getting murdered, and she's the first one to get killed in this movie, where she's hitchhiked again. She gets dropped off at the crossroads uh, by the truck driver from the beginning, and she gets picked off by a jeep who we don't see the driver of. Um, the driver is Tom Savini. He's just like they had very limited oh, crew. Really? Yeah, he just like they were like, well, Tom, you drive the car. And so he picked her up and drove her down the road. Gotcha. So she, Annie just had to like talk at him. Mm-hmm. Well, she talked to the camera guy after that, probably. This scene is like a great example of why, like, this is the evidence I'll point to, um, and why I'll say, like, you know, some of this was shot so haphazardly that it's like very obvious. 
Um, but it's like the way that they shoot inside the car is just shot reverse shot. But they do it in which they just cut to every single line. It's I call it the Bohemian Rhapsody effect, which is like fucking insane. It's like every time an actor says a line, it cuts to them to see them talking. Mm-hmm. And there's like no, they call them like L cuts or J cuts where like, you know, somebody says something and then they like, you know, you hear them while we're watching. We're watching the other person right. react. Mm-hmm. And so it's like very like you think as a young filmmaker, your intuition is like, oh, we want to see the person say the line. When the reality is you just kind of like bog yourself down in the edit with like such fast cuts that it's like it's unnerving. Um, There's a great example of Bohemian Rhapsody where there's like 15 people in one scene. It's like some big scene. And there's like a thousand cuts in a one minute segment. (laughs) It is truly disturbing. Because to your point, like what the point of those types of edits, right? And like what they would necessitate is the idea that like if you know that you're going to be editing in the future to do... Um, like you said, those like uh, I guess like those those cuts where you have the audio from one character hanging over, um, you know, the reverse shot of another. Uh, you would be you would be booming and like getting audio for the purposes of editing that in later. Mm-hmm. But like you said, like the evidence, yeah, yeah, right. Like the evidence of the sort of like ramshackled way this is all kind of cobbled together is that like well they they probably didn't ha- they didn't have any of that hard content because mm-hmm. they were literally just like you said they were putting the camera on somebody's face. And then letting them speak their, like, say some lines. And then, like, that's what they had. It was nothing else besides that. Um, so, yeah, you lose that sense of immersion that comes with, like, you know, having audio that overlaps uh, your perspective in, a, in an individual scene from the perspective of each individual character. Um, yeah, this death scene for Annie is okay. Uh, she gets, like, chased <laughs> off into the forest. Yeah, I mean, I think they were, s- it in, upon initial, like, them showing her, you're, I feel like you can be led to believe that she's going to be, that she could be the final girl. Yeah, any one of them could have been. It's yeah. like, yeah, I think maybe that's the only suspense in this movie is like figuring out which one Who's of them is going to last, last longest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, because she gets she gets. But it, honestly, though, but she's she's hitchhiking like to mm. this, in, in a horror movie, so you're like by herself. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was a simpler time back in the 1980s. <laughs> it was a lot easier to get around, and our yeah, our, we were less guarded maybe back then. Uh, yeah, she gets yeah, like, chased. All you had to do was let some like <laughs> creepy trucker like grope yeah. you, and then you'd be fine. Yeah, that's that's the price of getting around, I guess, back then. Sunday scaries. It's ask, ask, yes. Uh, that's <laughs> awful. Uh, yikes! Yeah, I feel dirty for what I just said. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> This is one of the, her death is one of those scenes where they're like, they're in the forest and they're like, all right, how are we going to film this death scene? And Sean Cunningham's like, all right, what about that tree right there? And so the story goes that they were trying to figure out how to rig up the, uh, the special effects for this scene, right? Because for what it is, this movie has some pretty fun special effects. Like it mm-hmm. is Tom Savini, like sort of getting into his stride of the, the 80s, the 80s era of splatter movies. Um, so this is an example where, they're like sort of on the fly rigging up this murder scene and they're like all right tom how long do you need to rig up you know this like neck wound or whatever and he's like 30 minutes and so they had set up shop like half an hour away and they throw 
Annie, the character Annie, into the truck, and then they drive her to the the shop real quick. They rig up that thing where it's like basically just like a plaster mold over her neck with like a copper tubing running underneath it, mm-hmm. uh, and then get her back to the set within like thirty minutes. And so that's why it kind of looks like I mean, you could tell it's like a weird like gray like clayed yeah. out like kind of thing. Um, but she gets slashed on the neck and like the blood like it bursts like squirts yeah, out. It's yeah. a pretty good squirt. Like it's some classic eighties. It's a good splat. Yeah, there's a lot of those in this movie that are mm-hmm. that are commendable. Um, because that's what this whole next pretty much like series of uh, of scenes is. Is it's just a bunch of kills here, um, f- directly following this uh, uh, this uh, snake discovery in the cabin as well. Um, this snake uh, scene, yeah, the I poor know. snake, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of a bummer, right? Yeah, I don't think you could get away with that today. No, absolutely not. Yeah, but this even 1980 even feels late. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny too because like you think about uh, like Sean Cunningham worked. Um, I guess that's not related. Sorry, I was thinking Sean. I would confuse Toby Hooper. Oh no, it does because it's like um, the hills have eyes, right? Yeah. They had to use like a dead dog. Um, so you have to wonder if Sean Cunningham like took a page out of that movie's book and decided like, oh, we can get a snake and we just mm-hmm. won't say anything. Like we can still <laughs> yeah. kill it. Let's just make sure that we get the shots of the live snake before we film the shot where we machete its head off. Yeah, yeah, it was a. And it, it was, yeah, it was a real snake, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> uh, there is one really beautiful, like like we were talking about the camera work earlier, there is really one beautiful moment in this snake sequence where, so they've like turned over the bed and they picked up all of the pillows and started like slamming them around the bed and everything. Mm-hmm. And all of the down feathers are falling like slowly through the air. Mm-hmm. And there's a single shot of like Ned, like wielding the machete as like all the down is falling <laughs> all around him. And the way it's like rack focused and like it's bright enough because it's like midday, they're getting this really, really great, like harsh exposure that like, it's a, it's a really beautiful shot. Actually. <laughs> I think it's like the prettiest shot of the movie. Um, but yeah, then they chopped that snake in half and it's a, it's kind of a bummer. They, they, they killed an actual snake for this movie um but uh then the best character of the movie shows up dorf uh officer dorf comes on in uh to give his penitence and delivers some of the like the coolest lines of the entire movie um where he uh he's like first we have ned who's jumping around and a, a problem get a problematic get up he's uh, dressed like a native american doing some whoops and hollers mm-hmm. um like he's been cast for avatar a goofy little man yeah he, um, he like does it as the police car pulls up too. So <laughs> he's like unfazed. The worst possible timing. Um, yeah, and then Officer Dorf uh, sort of interrogates all of them briefly. Uh, yeah, this end of this this one line where he starts interrogating Kevin Bacon, who walks up and is like smitten by the motorcycle oh, yeah. immediately. He says, "You've been smoking, boy." Yeah. <laughs> he's, no, I don't. No, it causes reefer. cancer. He's, you know what I mean? Would you would you just get off a spaceship or something? <laughs> Come on, man! Colombian gold, man! Grass, hash, the weed, dig it. Uh, Which, like, I've never heard <laughs> Colombian gold to describe no. weed. I'm like, who is saying that? Fucking narcs. Fucking just Dorf cops, is. dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, leave it to a cop to be like, ah, oh, yes, I can totally fit in with the children if I know the cool words. <laughs> Uh, he basically is just like another harbinger, right? Like he shows up really quickly to just warn them further that like he's been chasing down Ralph from earlier because uh, mm-hmm. he saw him bicycling off into the into the wilderness in their direction and is trying to intercept him. I guess mm-hmm. um, they kind of set up. I guess the idea, like it, it didn't occur to me until I watched it again, like this morning, that Ralph is kind of being set up as the killer. Did you mm-hmm. ever get that vibe that like that was yeah. supposed to be like a fake out? Yeah, it never. He it's looks so harmless the to me. Screenplay that way, really. 
it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's like written in the screenplay that like you're not sure if he's dangerous or not. And, right. Because I read the screenplay a little while ago, mm-hmm. and I remember it saying like uh, when it's revealed when Ralph is like on his way out. There's like I think in an early draft, there's a scene where he like just gets completely murked. Hmm. Yeah, he gets killed in the second one, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, in this one, he just seems like. I mean, he he just seems so benign in the beginning, like the mm-hmm. way this actor performs it. I was like, "There's no way it could be Ralph." Yeah. Well, and then when they, I mean, when you do, when they do find him, like in the pantry or whatever, yeah. right? They give you a little spook. Yeah. To so imply, you, like maybe, but then he seems so still not dangerous at all oh, at yeah. that point. But so. he's capable of it, mm-hmm. like, at least he's capable of of he's got plus five to spell. Well, that that and all the first person mm-hmm. shots of the killer show like what looks like male hands right yeah like big gloves that is the fun sort of like argento element of this right the mm-hmm. the thing where it's like you you only see the disembodied hand and f- foot of the killer at any given time just like reaching out with to big slash. male boots and <laughs> big chunky um, male gloves that was a problem like, like in the production of this movie too is like there are several scenes where when they're using the dummies or like wax models and stuff um they have like you see Tom Savini's hands, like his hairy ass knuckles, mm-hmm. like reaching into the scene to like go and like <laughs> deliver the killing blow. And you're like, all right, I guess I guess Mrs. Voorhees could have some gnarly. Some she has hair. a hormone disorder or something. <laughs> yeah, something's going on. Um, I think there's something going on between Steve and the waitress at the diner. I think that they have a secret like dalliance that he is going and fulfilling. Sugar baby. Yeah. What situation going? Yeah, on? Sandy or whatever her name is. Uh, like they cut to that scene later on where he's like he's trying to pay out and stuff. Mm. She's and like, no, honey. All I need me. is a night with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that actor actually that plays that waitress would die like a year or two after this movie came out oh, in 1982. No. Yeah, she dies at the age of 71. Leading up to this, uh, Jack and Marcy are outside. Did you? There, there was the one moment of special effects that was hilarious to me, where there was supposed to be like a flash of lightning. Uh, while and Kevin, oh god, it's, it's like just a, like a flash bulb. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so bad. Like an orange flashlight. It's just, just like, like any warm light bulb <laughs> that I have in my house currently. But Kevin Bacon looks at the, he looks off screen. Is like ah, there's uh, a storm coming. <laughs> it's like good job, Kevin. You're really Nailed giving it. it your all. Give him a fucking Oscar. <laughs> Um, but it does start raining and then Marcy and Jack run off into a cabin to get out of their wet clothes. Um, yeah, it gets spicy real quick. It does get spicy. They started, they get, they get freaky. Um, so leading up to this too, like, and this is when we get the first kill where Ned is wandering off, uh, being his rambunctious little self. Sees somebody go into one of the cabins. Yeah. Follows them. Yeah. He follows them into the cabin and that's when he, uh, gets, gets murked. Uh, he dies off screen, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. he doesn't even like. We don't even get to see his death, um, but we do see like so. But we like, do a- get to see his dead body. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say like directly after uh, Jack and Marcy are getting freaky above him or below him in the in the bunk bed, um, it pans upward and we see his uh, his dead body. He's been he's been stabbed or sliced. Which I like. This camera room is one of my favorites in the movies because it pulls up and at first it's like his eye. And then, like, the side of his mouth, so you're like, oh, my God, he's, like, a peeping Tom or something. Or, like, he's, like, you know, he's, like, it's, like, that roommate nightmare where you're, like, sharing a bunk bed <laughs> and you're trapped in the room. Because your your roommate's, like, so already doing the silent. thing. You're, like, I can't leave now. Yeah. And then it pulls back <laughs> even further to reveal, like, oh, no, he's just dead. <laughs> Which is mm. better, right? <laughs> the, yeah, it's, it's much less awkward for everyone yeah. if he's just dead. <laughs> for all of us involved, <laughs> including the audience. <laughs> it's, a lot easier it's a lot more palpable if he's just yeah. dead 
I knew a guy who uh, who oh, did gosh. have sex on a bunk bed once, and this girl's roommate was on the bunk bed and literally told them. She was like, can you guys literally go anywhere else, please? <laughs> and he said he looked at her. He was like, I just looked at her. I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's an inhel- inherent element of danger in when you, when you decide to do it on a bunk bed, and I guess that is like that is part of the fun, uh, at least for Marcy and Jack it is. Um, but while Marcy has gotten up to go, like, go to the bathroom after they uh, they do the deed um then jack gets uh, stabbed through the back of the neck um, With an arrow that was a after really good kill ned's blood drips down onto him yeah that was a really good suspenseful mm-hmm. scene like you just have him chilling like below he lights up a joint and he's hanging out right down there um apparently like so there was a lot of sweet smoking on this set like you would expect right uh, apparently Janine Taylor was like really nervous about this scene because it's like you know like any any scene that involves nudity like a sex mm-hmm. scene and she's like one of the few of the cast here she is actually like a like a Broadway like or she's like a theater mm-hmm. um, actor like she's like a stage actor from New York who's like trying to do gigs and stuff and so she's like classically trained like she shows up and she doesn't she's nervous about the effect that this kind of scene would have on her career um, so apparently like her and Kevin Bacon like leading up to the scene he's like hey let's let's go for a walk real quick and so they go out to like a cabin in the woods or like they go out behind the cabins and stuff and they light up a joint and she's like I might have had two or three pulls off of a very fat joint before this scene <laughs> then we get this scene where yeah the uh, where Kevin Bacon has the the blood dripping on him from above and mm-hmm. you pan up and yeah he you realize that that for one thing Ned is dead and then he gets stabbed through the neck from behind where it's mm-hmm. uh yeah it's a really really cool that's a good like, kill it's it a good looks effect. great yeah he's yeah, got like a great. like a prosthetic body from like essentially from the chest downward mm-hmm. and so they just have to like stab the arrow up through this like prosthetic body and he's like just propping his head up on the pillow from mm-hmm. behind um which yeah. i love too the arrow head is like super fucking metal it's like oh, if you yeah. were gonna go like deer hunting but like if you were hunting a fucking alligator like regular camp like yeah, it's a big old broad head. summer camp arrowheads are like yeah it's like some tiny little like bullet like you know mm, just like, like something that tip. just gets through a, a block of hay Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know a lot about arrows. Uh, yeah, yeah you, I grew up hunting. You did some archery stuff. Yeah, I hunted growing up. Nice. I didn't know if you hunted with like with like just like rifles or with like arrows or like crossbows or equal opportunity weapon hunter. What's the most like stripped down like when people like I I don't know anything about hunting. I'm not I'm not a hunting guy. But like, what is like? Do people hunt with just like like knives sometimes? Is that a thing that happens? I don't. He's <laughs> just like so. throwing knives. I mean, no. everybody's got like some crazy uncle that knows a guy that. Well, the deer was just right below my stand, so I just jumped down. That's and, what I'm saying. Is yeah. Like... I mean, I've never <laughs> seen it happen, but everybody's weird uncle has a story about it. That would be like the that's like the purest form because there has to be like a spectrum, right? Where like on the one end there's like the easiest stuff where it's like you have a rifle and it's literally like those properties that just have like they breed the deer for you to go out there and shoot them, right? And then like yeah. then there's like actual hunting, and then there's like bow hunting or like crossbows, and then there's mm-hmm. like. Like I imagine, and on there's the f- jumping out of a tree with a knife. <laughs> yeah, that's what I imagine is on this far end of the spot. Or like using a spear or something, or like just like a net, like where you have like a, a deer running by. Uh, you have you to choke have, it out. Yeah, you have to like yeah, you just have to do like a fucking sleeper hold on it until it passes out. Or like just one level beyond that is just using your words and just like gently just berating the deer until it takes its own life. Or yeah, <laughs> you just commit the you convince the deer to just walk off a cliff. Uh, or you just, or just yeah. You just... I mean, that's essentially the plot of the menu. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of true. <laughs> it just overpowers everybody through the sheer force of will. Um, or you could just romance the deer too, and just mm-hmm. like you know, coax it to, to to politely offer itself up for food. Um, 
out of goodwill. Start a little cult. Yeah. Um, get it to drink some Kool-Aid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's Easy. how you get to indoctrinate yeah. <laughs> the deer. You got to play uh, the long game. You have to play the uh, yeah the satanic panic with the deer and convince it that uh, this is all for its own good. <laughs> um, I think in the midst of all this, right, uh, they have already started playing Strip Monopoly um, by the time Marcy and Jack die. <laughs> I love this. I think so. so. Much. I think they cut away it's... to the death and then they come back to the strip Monopoly. What a great idea for a version of Monopoly though. Like this makes so much perfect like it I, I think I got like way too into Is this it, as they though? were I think it's I think it's a great like well, okay, like if you're among like consenting adults and it's all like everything's, you know, chill or whatever. Um I think it's just like this no, whole I... like version I, of this game like if if like the target of playing strip anything is to strip monopoly seems like the longest fucking game to get it's always been the longest fucking game it is but no matter what version of it you play no there's a way to make this go quickly though i think like because the my in my version of this like so i i was like thinking of i went down this like i don't know this like tangent of thinking about how this the rules of this game would work and the way i see it is like this is a good like analog for like sex work where you just like you're, you're what you're doing is you're demonstrating like how like in in dire situations people turn to like you know like drug dealing and other things like this like other industries that mm-hmm. you know are more profitable where it's like say you're running out of money because you keep landing onto many properties right what's mm-hmm. like well well now you, you can take off an article body. of clothing and you can get fifty thousand dollars out of the bank mm-hmm. and it's like i mean that's how i would play it at least yeah i was kind of thinking about it as an some weird analogy for the working class and capitalism yeah where like oh how do you pay your rent you you give up your body <laughs> to the you know the higher-ups yeah you're like you're either it's an, an, NFL it's an player analogy or, for your labor yeah right? you're like, either a professional body. football player or you're a sex worker i mean yeah. it's like one or the other yeah. like you're That's either getting hard attacks on them yeah. i mean I, yeah that was like my giant like cons- well, I was, well obviously i was thinking about it as like how do you get people to get naked so we were on different <laughs> wavelengths as far as strip monopoly goes i mean that but that is within movie, this movie like, that's the, the goal rules yeah are, <laughs> yeah the rules of this game though are like every time you land on someone else's property you can either like you can strip like you have to strip i think is what they say that's kind of what seems fine, like the rules but it also playing. like means you need to like buy it they literally say he like she buys like one of the first properties and they're like no one will ever land on this you idiot and then he does land on it and he's like okay take your shirt off or like give me your boot it's like the most insane like in order to get people naked you would have to spend all of your money immediately yeah and it would also go on for a really long time if you're gonna play a game that involves people taking their clothes off you want it to be like really you want to be like like uno or something like something that goes quickly War. war uno holy shit <laughs> uno's like reverse uno like when you uh draw a card you're like well there goes my wristband <laughs> um i guess also at this point uh so marcy also gets killed right like shortly after kevin bacon uh the marcy kill is really good too she's like going off into the like the latrine cabin mm-hmm. uh, and she's hanging out like washing her hands and everything uh and she hears a noise Which, and then to be clear she so she has sex with kevin bacon and mm-hmm. then she's like i gotta go to the bathroom after so she's like trouncing around because the bathroom is a separate cabin right she goes from uh the, the sleeping cabin to the bathroom cabin and like a big shirt and panties and is like it, it's just like hilarious for the camera's sake because you're like oh we get it she's like sexy and young and we're watching yeah. her like bounce around in like her underwear but i also like laugh because it's very practical you're like yeah who wants to like put on 
pants and shoes and all this stuff when like the peeing cabin is right next door like no one's I around assume, you might I mean, as well. they still think they're the only ones out there yeah right, right? Like, i would do the same thing exactly i mean it's the whole thing it's like when you're out in a secluded lake and stuff like that's the whole like the liberating feeling of skinny dipping when you can go out and yeah. like just it'd be be or one like, with nature just walk outside and take a piss yeah exactly that's great yeah um and i, I will say personally when he when he the pooed on multiple occasions <laughs> <laughs> what is wait you you pooped shirt, in like a like a no, honey shirt, pot? shirt no pants. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, shirt no pants. Thank you. See Tyler knows. Tyler has been the food before too. You call that daffy ducking? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> daffy daffy fucking. Uh, no, it's it's Donald ducking. Daffy oh has my no god. <laughs> yeah, that is Donald. Oh, is Donald ducking? Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah Donald ducking. Yeah, yeah. Daffy doesn't wear anything. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because ducks. That's have the next level. Penis. Is Daffy Ducky? But I, I will, I will still assert that, like by comparison, this movie is way more subdued than than the sequel to this because it, it does show like there is like one boob in this movie and then like some like you said underwear scenes. But in the second movie, it is like there's multiple full on like nudity scenes where they they were just leaning hard into the the horniness of it. Um, but Marcy gets dispatched with pretty quickly once she gets back to the, her cabin and discovers. Uh, does she find Kevin Bacon's dead body? Or does she just get she gets she, she gets killed in the toilet, right? Um, yeah, she gets axed. She gets axed. She gets axed to the forehead. Um, she axed him. Yeah, that was uh, apparently so. Another Tom Savini thing for this role, like apparently the, this whole little bit, they uh, they were trying to do like the whole prosthetic axe thing, like with the fake axe being like makeup onto her forehead, but mm. it wouldn't stick. So they just ended up like removing everything and just hot gluing the uh, the fake axe to like directly to her forehead, so she could react to That's... it and like react to this this one shot. Yeah, yeah, it's I don't know. There's she she she's not the one who suffered the most though throughout like all of these kills. Um, Brenda, yeah. So Brenda, Bill, and Alice are still playing their strip monopoly game, and their door bursts open. Um, Bill goes to investigate that whole thing. Uh, he checks on the generator, uh, and then we cut back to like that diner scene where Steve is paying out. And like I said, this is where like the sexual tension between Steve and the waitress at the diner felt palpable to me mm-hmm. though. Um, Big time. Yeah, it was really intense. He pays uh, two dollars and one quarter for. A, a whole diner meal i guess which is the equivalent of 1980 yeah it's yeah. like $8.17 today mm-hmm. that's why like a 75 cent tip is like $3 now mm-hmm. yeah that's crazy keep the change thanks reagan um back at the cabin brenda is brenda has uh expertly sort of extricated herself from the game of strip monopoly saying that she thinks she left her uh, window open in her cabin um, yeah that <laughs> that's it that was a fucking cop out. Dude. Yeah, that was. I mean, clever move though. She uh, she says, "Oh, it's raining." Oh, I, I left, think the I left oven my window on. open. All right, Brenda, you're playing this game the right way, I guess. <laughs> um, but she takes off. Brenda's death is, I think, one of the most tragic. She's just trying to help somebody, and this is where we get like more voice acting from Miss Voorhees. Uh, and mm. the next, like, the abilities of Miss Voorhees get stretched, sort of like beyond the realm of plausibility here in the next couple of scenes as well from whether it's this voice acting in the scene where she's throwing her voice to make it seem like there's a little girl in peril uh which brenda goes to investigate she gets lit up by the archery lane uh, range and uh then she gets she dies off screen and mm-hmm. we kind of forget about her until like the end of the movie um she's the most like neglected character as far as screen time goes yeah. in the introduction like we don't really care about brenda that much mm-hmm. um the uh the unseen assailant goes and shuts down the generator um so at this point only bill and alice are left right um Mm -hmm. or i guess directly before this uh steve is on his way back um his car broke down so he gets picked up by a cop um 
And the cop takes him back and drops him off after hearing about another wreck that's been gone on. Yeah. And so Steve is going to hoof it back to the Camp Crystal Lake, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and right as he's like entering Camp Crystal Lake, uh, that's when he turns to the camera and says, "Why are you here?" Uh, and then he yeah, gets... somebody pulls up <laughs> in a car, right? Yeah, which is probably his own car, because isn't the car that pulls up later? Yeah, that's I was confused by Jeep? that. Yeah, I think there's only I think they only had one Jeep on mm-hmm. set because the Jeep that Anna gets picked up in looks like the same Jeep that Steve is driving, right? Yes. Yeah, it's yep. the same Jeep, it's the right? same fucking car. yeah and i think that that's why there's some confusion there because yeah mrs warhees does show up in a jeep later uh but it, it does have the which the looks like the exact it. jeep that just broke down on the side of the road yeah but she got it running because like i said we're adding this had, the list yeah, of powers, she's, got a lot of powers going. she's also a masterful archer apparently yeah is that or maybe she just i mean runs up and stabs people with arrows well then i mean I guess so. Are you saying? Because are you saying that Ned she is like nailed to the door with arrows? Isn't yeah, the part about that that or was Bill. Yeah, yeah, Bill. Bill goes to investigate the generator again, and that's when he gets killed uh, off screen. Like mm-hmm. um, so Brenda and Bill are both off screen, right? Uh, Supposedly with arrows. Yeah, because when Alice goes to like follow Bill to like see what's going on after that, like she goes out there and he's been pinned to the door to the frame door. with the arrows. Like she like. As if she is Michael Myers and has the the otherworldly strength of a uh, of of a guy who's made some sort of elder, deal with an eldritch beast or something. Um, there's a scene where where Alice is going like she's still in the cabin, right, waiting for Bill to get back, and she makes some instant coffee with equal parts coffee and like sugar, right, and just like hot water. Uh, and this is the scene where we kind of like begin to see that the the unseen assailant the the off-screen killer is is slowly approaching her as well as uh as we get like these more voyeuristic shots of her from outside the cabin and then mm-hmm. like from inside the pantry of the cabin um and the music ramps up yeah too which is something i noticed they really only bring the score in when we're led to believe that the assailant is present that's how they signal like, that they're around to yeah. the <laughs> Which is, uh, I think, fuck, who did the score? Harry Mandelf- uh, Mandelfini? 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 Um, Gandolfini? Gan- <laughs> it, yes, definitely Gandolfini. Gandalf? Um, Man- Manfrendini. Sorry. Manfrendini. <laughs> Harry Manfrendini. Man- Manfrendini. Who would go and do the second movie as well. Yeah. Um, yeah he it- said that it wasn't, it was Ki and Ma were yeah. the phrases used, like, kill kill her mommy like he took her little yeah. bits of that audio and just like yeah he t- so like tape after i read that i listened back and i'm like no it's fucking not there's <laughs> no way it doesn't sound anything like kima it probably wasn't even an effect it was just some it was just him going up on the microphone and doing it <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah but by this point uh once alice discovers bill has been murdered right she's the only girl left like she has become the final girl because everybody else is dead and it's just her now um and it's also at this point that miss Voorhees introduces herself by driving up in steve's jeep right and delivering <laughs> the jeep the jeep she Mrs. Voorhees shows up and delivers all of the exposition we need for, mm-hmm. the, for like this whole movie and kind of sets up what will be the famous like lore that will persist for for the next few decades um the idea that m- uh, I keep wanting to say Michael. Uh, Jason Voorhees <laughs> was born on 
Friday, a, a Friday the 13th or on the 13th of June. Mm-hmm. Um, she explains, like, at first it seems that, like, Mr. Vor- Miss Voorhees is going to help Alice out. Uh, she comes in and sort of surveys the all of her handiwork um, and explains that she used to work with uh, Steve's family uh, and that she had a son who died and that there were murders directly, you know, after, shortly afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie is in 1980, right? It's 20 years removed from Psycho. Um, Mrs. Voorhees' character doing this whole, like, she has this this sort of personality split thing going on, mm-hmm. right? Where she's internalized the the personality of Jason Voorhees within her as well. And she starts talking to herself in her monologue as Jason and then answering herself. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually, like, one of the few, like, watching this a couple of nights ago uh, for the first time for this recording. That was one of the ones where I was like, I completely forgot that she does that, that she has some sort of like psychosis that she's like working through and she's telling herself to kill her mommy, kill her. She says, I will. It's like uh, reverse Norman Bates. There is a lot of like Norman Bates in the character of, of Jason Voorhees too, especially in the second one. He after like, after Mrs. Voorhees dies in this one, uh, she like her head, he preserves her head uh, in the second movie and kind of like keeps it as a, as like a Mm. weird trophy. Gotcha. So um, big, big psycho throwbacks. Yeah, yeah. We get this final showdown between Alice and uh, Mrs. Voorhees. Um, I guess like whenever this thing like first kicks off, they're really worried about like there's not a whole lot of choreography going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just kind of like stumbling around on the beach and stuff. Um, Mrs. Voorhees gets taken out for one with like a fire poker and then also with like a swift kick to the crotch mm-hmm. uh, at one point. Um, but once they actually do their final showdown out on the beach. Um, Tom Savini and uh, his uh, co-special effects lead <clears throat> had to step in to do some choreography for them because they both lamented that they were watching them try to like improvise this fight scene and that nothing was really happening uh-huh. uh, and that they both were like graduates from like this like action movie like film guild from uh, like New York or something and that they were like really they, they weren't going to let this movie go out with with this crappy fight scene going on so that's why they choreographed like the whole like the whole maneuvers where alice is defending herself with a paddle and this is where he's like chops through it with a machete mm-hmm. uh and they get on the ground and like do some like judo some and rolling around mounting yeah pinning, some, yeah <laughs> some curb stomping maneuvers and stuff um until Alice finally slow motion decapitates Miss Voorhees. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which that scene is fucking sick. It is pretty it's awesome. Pretty it's tight. Uh, they that's how both of these movies, the first two, end is like literally just the slow motion murder of uh, of the main character. Because um, yeah, she she whips her head right off. It's pretty mm-hmm. awesome actually. Which I want to like ask Tyler like anatomically, <laughs> it's it would take more than one hit, right? Right? Like you can't chop through. You can't decapitate yeah. someone with a, with a machete and a single. If you're blow. fucking yeah. Batman, highly, highly, highly unlikely. Yeah, um, but like you need still... a super sharp blade and a lot of strength. Yes, and a super strong blade too. I feel like mm. it'd be tough to get through the neck. Yeah, would, I mean, unless you like perfectly placed it, where you're you missed all the tracheal rings and you went between the vertebrae. Is there a spot? I, think I mean, if you, you had the vertebrae right first, angle, right? right? Like, yeah, most likely. You'd have to go from, like, the back forward mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, the trachea is pretty tough, though, too. Oh, yeah, they're all rubbery. Like, mm-hmm. Lots like of cartilage in there. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I will say it's highly unlikely. Did you see that? The cavitation's always sick. Yeah. It's always cool. And all the kills in this movie are fucking rad. Like, mm-hmm. the uh, the one earlier, so when Bill gets murdered, right, and we find his body is, like, pinned up against the wall. So he's, like, in, 
like a cast or like a like a molded sort of uh, special effects thing going on there and they have like the arrow you know glued to his eye mm-hmm. um so the fake blood that they were using had this one ingredient in it that was like basically like, like used to develop film as well it was like this sort of caustic um and it's fine as long as it's just like you know tom savini like like blowing it through like a pvc pipe to burst out of your chest or whatever Mm -hmm. but when it gets on your skin or gets in your eye um it can be really bad so uh uh the the ben actor was was pinned to the the wall there with like the blood like going down over his face and had gotten behind the makeup prosthetic um for the arrow sticking out of his eye so it was like touching his eye essentially and so Mm -hmm. as soon as they got the makeup off his his whole eye was just like flaring up and like going all kinds of shit swollen and inflamed yeah they had to take him to the doctor and he couldn't he lost vision in the eye for six months he couldn't see out of it yeah um (laughs) yeah one of the many i mean he didn't have as bad as a snake though they yeah so after the decapitation of uh, miss Voorhees, uh we get the fake out like easy ending or a happy ending here um where alice floats out into the middle of the lake on a canoe mm-hmm. uh the score here at the at the end of this movie is is very comforting man for it was yeah, a, a synthy kind of yeah. like almost twin peaksy yeah it was super nice I really enjoy. It. I, I thought it was very relaxing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the best fake outs of all time. Like you said, that like it was a production thing to basically tag to to add on this little tag here at the mm-hmm. very end of the movie, um, inspired by lots of other horror movies that were contemporaries of this one as well. Where they're like, well, we can't just stand on a high note like that. We have to. We have yeah, to throw something. What are we going to do after this? Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> we got to throw a little spice in there, uh, and the idea that like you have this character this object or this monster who pops out of the the lake at the very very end who we haven't seen before we've only alluded to mm-hmm. uh like it was a a complete surprise um but then it turns out it was all a dream they do that thing they do like the american werewolf in london thing yeah immediate cut to the hospital yeah uh and they tell her that they tell alice wakes up in the hospital surrounded by cops and surrounded by doctors um who explain that she's been pulled from the lake by two cops uh, and that there was no dead boy in the lake. Then he's still there. He is still out there. And lo and behold, we set up oh. Halloween part two. Or <laughs> Friday the 13th part two. Yeah, uh, Hall- is it Halloween Nightmare on Nightmare, nightmare on, 13th? on Halloween <laughs> the 13th? Well, I was laughing. Two. I was laughing too. Is like all the horror villains of this era have like the most middle-aged white man names. Like Freddy, Jason, Jason. and Michael. Like come on but that's the thing is like yeah. all well, the exactly. white men are yeah all the serial killers from yeah, this era most did have likely very, to be you know, these people are white men richard uh <laughs> ted ted yeah Ed, jeffrey jeffrey they, they did have I mean, like it's not inaccurate yeah uh jerry i just it's like notable and hilarious that there are no killers that are like you know like good dalton esquire foxworthy the third or so you know there's no like notorious well that guy's parents just paid off there's uh (laughs) there's a guy named rock terrio who was a pretty uh there's also adolfo yeah there's adolfo constanzo um who was a pretty crazy killer from uh cuba um yeah, there's not. I mean, yeah, it's just the uh, particularly like the when back back in the good old days when we had leaded paint uh, and things were <laughs> simpler back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, a lot of these 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 mid America you know murders and killings. Uh, yeah, you get a lot of very uh, very very straightforward uh, middle class white dude names. Um, 
Yeah, there's something like oddly nostalgic about this movie. I, I really actually enjoyed. I watched it a few times uh, leading up to this, and I watched like Friday the Thirteenth, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, mm-hmm. and I was like, like I said, there's something really sweet about like the the lore that they set up that has nothing to do with the entire rest of the franchise. Um, so it's almost like encapsulated in its own sweet little bubble here within yeah, these it's, first two it's movies. Isolated a little bit from the rest of it. Yeah, for sure. There's there's an innocence I, to them in a weird way. I like. I I love the I love the, even the idea that there's like you know such a notorious franchise. I've never seen more than just the very first one, but it's almost like I've enjoyed reading the discourse about the franchise more mm. than watching the actual movies because it feels like like learning about something in a black hole where they're like oh yeah like they're like oh when uh, Jason X like when he goes to space is like <laughs> this part is cool like when he kills a guy with a gravity gun or something you're like what the fuck am I reading? It's like one of my favorite things is just to like get on Reddit and like go on like the horror subreddit. And every now and then there's like a Friday the 13th, like legacy debate and just watch these, like read what they say about like, Oh, this movie had this kill. You're like, what the fuck? Like what was going on? There is something about like, like, who is also who's watching all these. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, that's what you watch the Friday the 13th movies for, for the kills. Like you watch them for the sheer, like bloody, Mm macabre fascination of just the the creative ways that jason kills people um i don't know i I think there is like what is the distinction between like jason Voorhees and michael myers it seems like jason Voorhees is like is more of just a like a fun tool to use to like to get into these situations and commit these murders Mm -hmm. where it is sort of like almost like more by the numbers just let's boil this thing down to its its purest form which is just a rampaging monster goes out and murders a bunch of co-eds essentially um the halloween lore is is gets expanded upon in the first three movies especially with like the crazy third one um but then is more sort of encumbered in the idea of like michael myers as a character as you expand his story and his background and like what are his connections to you know to Laurie Stroud and to mm-hmm. like, you know, the other characters within Haddonfield. Yeah. And what's um, his purpose and right. meaning behind everything. Well, Whereas... that, I, that's like what I was reading about is kind of the biggest distinction. Um, and something I didn't even think about, but that Friday the 13th, like they were talking about how they rebooted Halloween and people were just as excited to see Jamie Lee Curtis as they were to see Michael Myers. Yeah. Um, or like Neve Campbell in the new scream. They were saying like Friday the 13th doesn't, Jason doesn't have an, a, you know, like an opposite, character like there's no one specific final girl that jason you know has in his lore that right. we can name mm-hmm. off the top of our heads there's no laurie strode there's no Sidney prescott like he that's like one of the fun things is like you said is like every new movie is a brand new iteration and the lore can just get wild and funky because there's like they just clean slated almost every yeah, single there's time. no limits placed on the on the world he's not I mean, held he's, he's not literally held back by the shackles of continuity he, it, like think about it he's literally been to space he's been to hell he fought you know freddy krueger he he's went to a nightmare dimension yeah mm-hmm. yeah like this guy can just do they can do whatever the fuck they want and that's kind of what i applaud like we talked about like prey and how like you know oh, some yeah. of the best ideas are just like take this scary thing and put it in a different setting. And I, now that I've like made that argument, I'm kind of interested. I'm like, okay, wait, but actually 12 of these films and each one's a little weirder and a little stranger. Like how fun is this going to get? Like I kind of, there's a perverse part of me. And I, I want to say too, like at Blockbuster, you probably remember going to Blockbuster and seeing them just line an entire <laughs> shelf, just like Freddy <laughs> movies. Stacks of them. 
which is a yeah, good strategy. Like, if you're, if you're going to dominate an entire section of the of the video store, that's a good way to do it too. Yeah, yeah if you want to like, get your own shelf, yeah. just like, start throwing ideas out there. Yeah. I I like I genuinely do want to see Jason goes to space, but I also don't know like if it's not that good, then I don't want to see it. I just want to read other people describe it to me. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and it's interesting because like I so I was watching the second one earlier too. And that, like, to your point, actually, about, like, the final girl, like, uh, so Adrian King shows up, she, the entire first 10 minutes of the second movie are just, uh, flashbacks to this movie. Like, it's, it's Adrian King, the Alice character, like, tossing and turning in bed and having a nightmare about the entire ending of this movie so they can get you all caught up, even though, uh, part two released only one year after this movie came out. Um, but then... Alice dies within the first 10 minutes of that movie. So they just start off with a completely new set of characters as well. Um, yeah, it is fun. And there's They're, like d- sections of this franchise where they do like trilogies. So they'll uh-huh. have like, you know, like Freddy Krueger, the Nightmare on Elm Street had this thing too, where they kind of had like a concept that they teased out over a couple of movies, but then they just go back to like throwing shit against the wall. It was the same thing. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I do think like that's, it, it's had the, the luxury of being able to like stretch itself out or just like be one-offs and have fucking fun with it. There's something cool about that. I mean, the 80s were like the Wild West of this, where it's like, it was a lot easier to to turn and burn. And like, you're like, well, okay, well, we can make some money back on this. Like, and also like, I mean, so getting into the, the release of this, we talked about earlier how it had a budget of, you know, half a million dollars, like barely over half a million dollars, um, which even in 1980 money, like, I mean, that's, that's not much. Like, it's a, it's a pretty small budget. Um, but this goes on to make $57 million at the box office. Like this thing makes so much money. Mm -hmm. Um, it makes $5 million in its first weekend because like we talked about before, Sean Cunningham was sort of expecting, he's like, all right, cool. Maybe like, you know, like Halloween didn't get a wide release. Maybe we can start off and we can get, you know, a a dozen theaters. Hopefully like we can get something going. Um, but you talked about like that bidding war that happens. It ends up getting a national release. So it gets released in a thousand theaters and makes $5 million in its first weekend. Um, and then Paramount realizes what's going on and dumps another million into advertising. Yeah. And then they make another, what another 30 domestically yeah like it's ridiculous bonkers so it's justified it's like when you see all these sequels that like follow afterward and like when the the home like the video on demand and like uh you know aftermarket sales are still a thing back in like Mm -hmm. 80s and 90s and stuff it's like yeah of course we'll continue cranking out sequels for this because like not only will we have like the money from the, the the legacy franchise money but then also just like the the video sales the vhs sales and the dvd sales that will come later on um yeah, it's wild. Uh, it's it's a successful franchise, and it's like one that I think like I don't know. We didn't tackle it in our slasher series, but I think it's fun to like do these only on Friday the thir- Fridays the thirteenth. Um, there's another one coming up here later this year, so maybe we'll do Friday the thirteenth part two uh, when that comes up. I was yeah. reading this, it, it also like ridiculous. The research I did was ridiculous, but then like <laughs> apparently you can only have two Friday the thirteenth in a single year, and that's like the maximum. And the furthest distance between any Friday the 13th is 14 months. Right. Yeah, because there's almost one every year. And then there's like there's like two on some years, the way it lines up. Yeah. Because that's just 13s and 5s, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There'll be another one. I think it's like September this year is when the next one comes up. Duly noted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember that. <laughs> I'm going give to give myself some time to watch part two. Yeah. I got to prepare. I love that people like I, I just love that people kind of like get lost in the idea that uh, Friday the Thirteenth is like a super unlucky day, um, and the the lore behind that that day itself is so deep. There's like a million different reasons why, 
Yeah, because um, it keeps expanding out, and people just have like an associative thing with it, like throughout history. So it just starts to grow, like the whole right. Black Cat Day thing, and then like yeah. The- um, and what is it? Hotel? No, it's like uh, tattoo parlors have capitalized on that idea. Oh yeah, and they'll offer like free tattoos on Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. Yep. Twenty dollar tip. Yeah. You want to go get a tattoo today? Thinking about it. Yeah. Might as well. Let's do it. Yeah. It's gonna be a line out the fucking yeah, door right. like there always is. Gotta find. A... Well, that's why nobody goes anymore. It's because it's like yeah. insane. Well, yeah, and tattoo nuts. parlors only give like a like a few. They have like it's like pick one of four kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, a little flash sheet. You gotta have one that you can do really fast. You don't want to like exactly. be investing too much <laughs> energy or time into uh into. But I, I feel like, like there's that. always like some idiot that hears like oh free tattoos and it shows up and they're like I want like the Death Star painted on my back and they're like. <laughs> Dude, that's not how this works. <laughs> no, 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 no. It has to be. It has to be Friday the Thirteenth themed. Do you already have a Friday the Thirteenth tattoo? Mm-hmm. You do. Which one? The uh, candle burning at both ends. Oh yeah, that's a Friday the Thirteenth one from two thousand eleven. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. I haven't gotten one yet, and thirteen's like my favorite number. That'll be a fun one to do. Uh, cool. Well, I'm glad this worked out. I'm glad we got to uh, test out your your home recording setup. Yeah, get ready, and, listeners. I'm yeah, I know, zooming right? Zooming in from the West Coast, baby. How did the, did you run into yeah. any problems with the move though? Anything? Everything go okay? No, we, we were lucky. Honestly, the I was so scared driving a five by eight trailer across half the continental U.S., but we didn't break a single thing. Uh, like, I honestly, God, I don't think I could have planned it better. And. Like, even the cat slept peacefully most nights. It was insane. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. Having done a cross-country like the move, same move basically. with a similar trailer and two cats, I feel like you probably got pretty lucky. Mine <laughs> was a nightmare. Like I genuinely, I, the only time was really scary. We drove down from Flagstaff into Sedona. Uh, yeah, that is a scary drive. The, all those switchbacks? Yeah. I did... I did like a solid two miles of steep switchbacks at night, hauling Ooh. a five by eight trailer on my like dinky SUV while it was snowing. I literally, when we Jesus. got to the hotel, I like sh- like shook shakily got out of the car and literally kissed the ground. I, I genuinely <laughs> kissed the ground because I was like, I thought I was gonna die. I thought for sure this was the end of me. Mary Kate was like, "Oh, you did great. I trusted you. You, you knew what you were doing." I was like, I thought for sure the trailer was going to go over the edge and take me with it, and this was it, and I was just going to go. Yeah, I've been in driving situations like that, especially going to and from like Louisiana to New Orleans or Baton Rouge or something, where it's like pouring rain the entire time, and you're just like moments away from hydroplaning for two hours straight, and everybody else in the car is chilling because they have no idea, they can't feel the steering wheel and Mm -hmm. sense that. But then you like get to a rest stop and you unclenched your hands, white knuckled from the wheel, and And you've gone over a bridge that's gone over a marsh for like the last twenty miles that you can't drive off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit's terrifying. Well, cool. I'm glad you made it. I'm glad everything mm-hmm. you're settling in okay. Uh, cool. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for listening to this uh, this uh, Friday the 13th episode, guys. Uh, happy Friday the 13th. Uh, this is a, kind of a little bonus episode, so it'll be dropping in between our regular episodes. I think the uh, Hereditary episode should be dropping on Monday following this episode. So uh, enjoy. If you haven't listened to the oh, Gothica yeah. one, go check that out. Uh, the menu is on HBO now. Go watch that and listen to our episode on the menu. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We should have more, hopefully. So we're doing lots more stuff like this where we uh, will have sort of um, auxiliary and accessory episodes that will be sort of supplementing the regular uh, Monday 
morning episode the drops. Regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, exactly. So stuff like this, Friday the 13th, or other random movie reviews of new stuff that's coming out, or like smaller indie stuff, or interviews with indie filmmakers and directors and stuff. Um, I'm going to try to stick these in here. Um, if you guys have Instagram, follow us uh, on Instagram at Scary Sunday Scaries, uh, and go join our Patreon at patreon.com slash scary Sunday Scaries. Um, we're going to be dropping links to a Discord server soon if you'd like. Um, you can email me at scarysundayscaries at gmail.com, and I'll give you a link to that Discord. We can talk and hang out and uh talk about movies and stuff and uh, share memes yeah share memes <laughs> I, all the memes i have already decided i'm just gonna post every meme letterbox review that i see in there yeah <laughs> we could even start a little sub channel on the side yeah just exactly. for letterbox yeah. reviews i have yes. i literally uh. have like 50 <laughs> of these reviews saved on my phone fuck yeah yeah, there's lots of stuff we can do with it. I, I started setting up the uh, Discord channel, a uh, Discord server earlier, so we'll we'll experiment with that and see what fun what fun things arise out of it. Uh, but I hope you guys have a good weekend. Uh, enjoy this. Uh, thanks for joining me from the West Coast, Daniel. Thanks for driving over here, Tyler, to hang out with me. Yes, sir. Awesome. I'll talk to you guys yes, soon. Sir. Have a good week. Adios. Bye. Sunday scaries. <laughs>